Uh, it's a great privilege for me to introduce to you guys today a guy by the name of Trevor Brody. And before I give you some background as to who Trevor is, um, you need to understand if you're brand new to Mount Olive Church or maybe you're visiting or you're not familiar with kind of how churches often work in this country. But our church, Mount Olive Church, is part of a greater group of churches. In many places, they're called denominations. Ours is not called a denomination. It's called an association of churches. And it's called the Evangelical Free Church of Canada. So that's why we are the EFC, not all of EFC. Okay, now you know that. Uh, so our conference uh, nationally is broken into different districts within the nation. And uh, Mount Olive is the very most north church in the Prairie District in Alberta. So our district is like Three Hills and Troshu. Hey, Three Hills and Troshu. South, all of Alberta, and then all of Saskatchewan. They thought we were really gracious people and we'd let them in, so we treat them with kind, sorry if you're from Saskatchewan. Um, but that's kind of our district. And Trevor is the superintendent of our district in our, in our association of churches. So how many churches are in our, in our district right we, now? We have 34 churches. 34 churches. So he, he helps oversee and just encourage pastors and come alongside church boards as, as needed and so on. So. Trevor's been in this role for just over a year, and I thought we should have him come to Mount Olive and just uh, share the word of God with us and just for us to be able to get to know him a bit more and, and, and you, us. So uh, Trevor's going to be preaching uh, today, and I'm really, really excited about that. So can I pray with you before we start? Father, I just want to lift up uh, Trevor to you, and we thank you for him. Thank you for his family. And uh, thank you that they have, yeah, released him to be able to be with us today as well. And uh, Father, as he speaks, um, would you give him clarity of thought and word uh, that your word that he is going to be bringing to us would come alive for each of us? Mm -hmm. And Father, as we talked about last week in Galatians 5, as, as people who are in step with your spirit, we invite your spirit here and open our hearts and our lives as your word comes and would it penetrate us to encourage us, to build, up, uh, to build us up, to follow you, and uh, also to challenge us in areas where maybe we need to be challenged. And may this all be for your honor and glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alvin. Thank you for inviting me here today. It is an honor to be here. Uh, as Alvin said, my, my role is superintendent, district superintendent, but in the free church, uh, better title I like is district guy. Um, in the free church, the congre we're congregational in government. Uh, Alvin in the first service kind of joked that I was his boss. That's not it at all. Uh, the churches and the congregations, I work for you. You're my boss in a sense, uh, and that's more how it works. So my, wife, my name is Trevor. My wife's name is Benita. She got uh, sick this weekend. She couldn't come. She, she's, she regrets that. Uh, we have been married for just about 28 years now. We have five children, three daughters, two sons, our four oldest children are at different places around the country and different universities. Our youngest son, his name is Isaac, he's in grade 11. I started this position last January. I came out here and worked uh, by myself for about six months, and then at the end of the school year, my wife and our youngest son moved out uh, to be with me. We live in Okotoks. I'm on the road a lot, uh, 34 churches in Saskatchewan and southern Alberta, uh, like Alvin mentioned earlier. I grew up in Langley. I grew up attending the Langley Evangelical Free Church. I uh, met my wife at university. We got married. We started attending the White Rock Evangelical Free Church. Eventually moved up to Smithers, which is her hometown. 
How many of you have ever heard of Smithers, BC? Oh, that is really good. That is really impressive. We even had a guy here earlier in the service, or the first service, uh, from Smithers. He's a student here. I actually baptized him three years ago. It was great to see him again. Um, so then we, uh, we pastored, first of all, in Ashcroft. Anyone heard of Ashcroft, little town? Wow, you guys get around. So we pastored in Ashcroft for four years, and then we were able to go back to Smithers where we pastored for 12, 13 years before taking on this calling as the district guy in the Prairie District. I asked uh, the, the people earlier, and I didn't get any really convincing answers, but you guys are from Three Hills. What do you call yourselves? I, I suggested Three Hillians. I was thinking later, maybe you're just a bunch of thirds. <laughs> I don't know. But in Smithers, this is the truth, we're called Smithereens. We are Smithereens. Yeah, that's our identity. We are Smithereens. So that's who I am, our family. Uh, I was invited here by Alvin, uh, I think before Christmas, to come and speak today. So I was checking out your website, checking out where you've been, what kind of series. I saw you had a series called No Perfect People Allowed. I think I fit in. That's a good one for me. But then recently, you've been in a series called Action, Identity, and Mission. And I got excited because I've been working on a sermon just on that topic and asked Alvin, can I speak on that? Would it fit in? And he said yes. So that's where we're going to be today. I want to begin by telling you about one of the best books that I've read lately. It's called A Non-Anxious Presence. It's by Mark Sayers. It's called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in this book, he describes how our world is changing, and we don't yet know what the world's changing into. We're in the middle of it all. He calls it a gray zone, and gray zones are not comfortable to live in. We try to find comfort. We try to find security in different strongholds that have given us identity and safety in the past, but these old strongholds we're finding are falling short in this new world. And the result for so many people, as you've seen and as you've experienced, I'm sure, firsthand, the result of this is anxiety, widespread anxiety. The result is fear. Sayers writes, as strongholds lose their integrity, so do our concepts of identity. With no agreed-upon defining story or shared values anymore, identity becomes something that people must search for themselves. Many search for meaning and identity in regionalism, and I see that a lot in Alberta, in nationalism, in political parties, in single-issue causes, or in self-expression. And he writes, humans have always found meaning in identity. However, in our world today, identity is becoming the main and sometimes the only source of meaning. We try to find our identity and therefore our meaning in all sorts of areas and pursuits. He's already listed some, but we could add to the list. That we try to find identity and meaning in our ethnicity, in our citizenship, We try to find identity and meaning in our school, our work, our achievements, even in our sports teams. I'm quickly learning in traveling to Saskatchewan that people from Saskatchewan find their identity in being fans of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And when you are preaching in a church on a Sunday that happens to be a game day, you look out and see a bunch of green. Back a few years ago, the NHL had a marketing scheme And uh, it it went like this, that if you were in Calgary, for example, 
you'd see signs and billboards that said, we are all flames. We're finding our identity in cheering for our team. Aren't you glad you're not an oiler? Okay. Finding out what, what strikes a chord with this group. This is no lie. In Vancouver, the billboards were, we are all Canucks. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? In fact, it reminds me of something I read this week. There's a guy who died on Vancouver Island. This is just an aside. But he wrote in his obituary that he wished that six members of the Vancouver Canucks could have been his pallbearers so that the Canucks could let him down one last time. So, so, sorry. We search for identity and we search for our meaning in all sorts of areas. We search for it also in our abilities, in our hobbies, in our sexuality. And we put our chosen identities on display on social media, through the clothes and the hairstyles and the tattoos that we wear, and in how we decorate our personal space. And yet, none of these chosen identities measure up. None of them truly give us identity or meaning. They never have, they never will. Our true identity and meaning are found only in relationship with our Creator. And so part of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our identity now comes from the truth, from the grace that God saves us, God forgives us, God gives us new life and He adopts us in and through Jesus Christ. The title for the message today is Living Out Our Identity as Children of God. There are going to be two parts to the message today. First part, we're going to look at a couple, a few passages that you'd expect to see in a sermon like this. And then a second part that may, that may surprise you a little. But before we go any further, I need to pray. Father, we just come before you now. The song we sang earlier says that we're running to your arms. Thank you that you're our Father and that we can run to your arms. I pray that through this time together in your word now, we'd come to know better how much you love us. That, Lord Jesus, we'd come to know better what it means to be your follower. That, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in us to hear the words we need to hear and then to put them into practice. That we would be doers of the word, not just hearers. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Back when I was in elementary school, there were two words that a teacher could say in the morning that would bring a lot of excitement. And I'm not thinking about summer vacation this morning. I'm not thinking about substitute teacher. I'm thinking field trip. Growing up in Langley, there were three field trips that we do. It seems like every year we go on these field trips. One to the zoo in Aldergrove, two to the fort in Fort Langley, and three to White Rock Beach, where we got to fill plastic bags full of shells and sand and bring them back home. Our mothers love that trip. But we're going to go on a field trip now through some passages of Scripture that speak of our identity as children of God, and they also speak to our position, our belonging. But I want to go really quickly, and it's going to be like trying to see all of Calgary Zoo in one hour. So I, want, I hope that you will jot these passages down and that you'll come back to them later in the week. Maybe dig deeper on your own in a, in a small group. Talk about it over lunch today. First passage on this field trip, John 1, 12 and 13. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. John 1, 12 and 13 says this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, 
He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Of course, John is speaking of Jesus, God the Son who became human. Most people rejected him, but everyone who believes, everyone who accepts him, becomes a child of God. When you trust, when you rely on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for righteousness and for a new life, you become part of the new covenant people of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, through faith in Christ, you enter into a new relationship with God. And my question for you this morning is this. Have you, have you believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him as Savior and Lord? I don't know most of you. As I look out today, I see faces that are mostly unfamiliar. I don't know you. You may be new at this church or you might have been here for years. You may have trusted in Jesus Christ years ago or you may never have yet taken that step. Will you believe in Jesus Christ and accept him? Our second passage. Same author, different book. 1 John 3, 1-3. John writes, See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. The first word here is see, but it's better translated as look, with capital letters, look, or behold. Like the breaking news banner on a website or the notification on your smartphone, like the one I just heard right now. John wants to get your attention. Don't miss this. It's so important. It's so beautiful. Don't miss this. Look, God loves you so much. The NIV puts it like this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We have five children, as I mentioned earlier. When they were young, growing up in Smithers, we, we were raising our kids in Smithers, we discovered that you don't always get summer every year. Some years it just kind of rains and it's cool. You might hit 28 degrees, but you maybe never get that heat. So we would always go down to the Okanagan for a while, visit family. One of the things our kids love to do is go to a water park. So at these water parks, there's water spraying everywhere. But what they especially liked were these big buckets of water at the top of a tall pole. And gradually these, water, these buckets would fill with water and then they'd come to a point where they were full enough that they would spill over on the giggling children below. Overflowing. Lavishing water on them. And this is like God's love for us. Except for one big difference. God's love doesn't stop. The bucket of his love never runs dry. It never has to get replenished before it can pour out again. God loves you so much. 
through faith in Jesus Christ, you are now His children. Not just called children of God, this is what you are. And then John takes this beautiful truth and he points us to the future. One day we're going to be like Jesus. And the result is that we have hope. The result is that we live holy lives, keeping ourselves pure, because we're going to see Jesus one day. We're going to be like Him. I said we're moving quickly. Third passage now, Romans 8, 15 to 17. Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says this. He says this to a group that's somewhat divided along ethnic lines, Jews and Gentiles brought together by Jesus. And he says to all of them, and he says to each of them, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. This is such good news. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to stay stuck in the grip of anxiety anymore. We're not slaves to fear anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore either. Because now we're children of God, adopted into His forever family. And that's a key word to understand in this passage. This word for, here, for adoption is described like this. Paul uses the image of the Roman practice whereby a man could formally confer on a child who wasn't his own all the rights of a birth child. This is what God's Spirit confers on every believer, the rights and privileges of God's own children. Another author describes it like this, you're not Jesus But if you're a follower of Jesus, every single time you pray, you come before the Father clothed in the robe and crown of a ruler. In the eyes of heaven, you are filled with Jesus' status and standing. And our spirit-filled response to this glorious truth must be to cry out, Abba, Father. Fourth and final passage on the field trip is Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, and this is what he says. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One more time, you are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're united with Christ, we're united by Christ, we're united to Christ, and we're united in Christ. Our identity is in Jesus and from Jesus and with Jesus. In God's eyes and evermore in our own eyes and in our own understanding, our identity, our meaning come from our relationship with Jesus. Our identity and our meaning do not come from gender or sexuality or ethnicity or our jobs or our socioeconomic status or our possessions or our achievements. Our identity and our meaning come from Jesus Christ and who we are now in Him. Together, we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. 
We've been on a very quick field trip through some well-known passages that talk about our identity as children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're back on the bus. We're heading back to school. Some of the kids are getting sick in the back. And I want to just take a couple of minutes for some summary, some recap, some debriefing, because often after a field trip, our teacher would make us write a report of something that we learned on the field trip, or if we were younger, make us draw a picture of something we really liked. Well, here are some of what I put into my reflection, my field trip reflection. Three thoughts. First of all, and this is sober and this is serious, not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. And this runs counter-current, counter-culture to what so, what so many people would say nowadays. Yes, each and every human is created by God. Yes, Each and every human is an image bearer of God, but not every human is a child of God. Scripture is clear. We've seen it over and over again in those passages. You only become a child of God through trusting in Jesus Christ, His death on the cross for your sin, His resurrection from the dead. You only become a child of God through trusting in Jesus, believing in Him, accepting Him as Savior and Lord, bending the knee before Him, He is Lord. Second highlight. In this family of God, Jesus is our older brother. And we're being conformed, transformed into his likeness by the Holy Spirit. And we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit as we follow in Jesus' steps, as we obey his commands, as we walk as Jesus walked. Third highlight from this field trip. We've been chosen and adopted by God into His forever family. It's entirely His mercy, His love, His grace. We do not deserve, we don't deserve such a great honor and privilege. Adopted by God with the full rights as sons and daughters, as referred to earlier, princes and princesses, we represent Him now in our world. We represent our family as brothers and sisters, and we do this together. A few Christmases ago, two of our kids in the family who have a similar sense of humor to me uh, got everyone in the family the same T-shirt. On the front, there's a bunch of snowflakes, and then there's these words, teamwork. A few harmless flakes working together can unleash an avalanche of destruction. That's us, a few harmless flakes. That's my family. My wife hates that shirt, by the way. I thought it was funny. But, but joking aside, we want to represent our birth family well, don't we? We want to bring honor to our family. We never want to bring shame to our family. How much more do we want to represent God's family well? And the way that we do this is by loving one another. In fact, that's how Jesus says that we'll be identified as his followers. John 13, we prove that we're children of God by loving each other the way that Jesus has loved us. That's also 1 John 4. A famous line in a famous movie goes like this, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm putting a twist on that quote today. With great identity comes great responsibility. As children of God, we have a high and lofty calling. We have a great mission. 
We've already looked at today in part one about our identity. Part two today now is about our responsibility that comes out of our identity. It's about how we live out our mission. And I want to go to a passage that maybe wouldn't come first to mind for you when we talk about our identity as children of God. A passage where Jesus calls us how to live it out. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Jesus is speaking. This is called the Sermon on the Plain. And we pick it up in verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. In light of Jesus' words in this passage, my outline for the second half of the sermon is made up of three questions. Number one, are you willing to listen? Number two, are you willing to love? And then number three, are you your Father's child? Are you willing to listen? Jesus is speaking to those who are willing to listen. They've gathered around him to hear what he has to say. And the word for listen or hear in verse 27 means to hear with attention. But we often hear without paying attention, don't we? I think of times when I'm trying to watch those Vancouver Canucks let me down once more. And my wife's trying to talk to me, tell me something. I, am, I know she's saying something, but it's just not registering. I think of times when we tell, told our kids when they were younger to clean up their room. I know that they heard me, but it went in one ear and out the other. We can tell when someone is merely hearing us or when they're actually paying attention to us. We can tell because attentive listening is going to result in action. We know from verse 20 that Jesus is speaking to the disciples and we believe that in the scriptures, Jesus is speaking to us. Are we, am I, are you willing to listen? A couple months ago, the alarm at the church in Okotoks where my office is wasn't working, so they brought in the technician to do maintenance work. For all, all, the whole morning, there was a constant beeping, and occasionally the alarm would go off right outside my office. Well, one of the pastors eventually came down to the hall, and he offered me some sound-canceling headphones so I could work and concentrate and not be distracted. Well, when it comes to the difficult teachings of Jesus, when it comes to the challenging teachings of Jesus, are you willing to listen? Or do you prefer to put on the sound-canceling headphones for a while? As disciples, as learners, as followers of Jesus, 
We submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we submit ourselves to the Word of God. The Bible is not just a source of information for us. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God for life transformation in us. Second question, are you willing to love? Because Jesus lays it all out for us in verses 27 through 36. He calls us to counter culture action, counter culture. He calls us to do what doesn't come naturally to us. The examples he gives are very real in their culture, day-to-day life kind of stuff. Jesus says to not just treat people how they treat us, to not be people who retaliate. Retaliation is normal. That comes naturally to us. I think of me and my brother. I have one brother. He's a couple years younger. We grew up in Langley, and every day after school, we would be on the street playing street hockey every day, waiting, you know, yelling car when the car was going by. For some reason, we always ended up in opposite teams with the neighborhood kids, and inevitably, every single day, one of us would go for the ball, miss, miss, and hit the other shins with our hockey stick. Well, you couldn't let that go, so you'd turn around and hack him back, back and forth the whole game. We lived with bruises on our shins for years. That's normal. That's what you'd expect. Any of you who are parents know that. Any of you who used to be kids know that too. But instead of payback, instead of retaliation, Jesus calls us to creatively love others in ways that catch them off guard, even shock them. If you know that someone hates you, go out of your way to be kind to them. Go out of your way to do something very good for them. If someone curses you or calls you names or slanders you, Jesus says, bless them. Speak kindly to them and even more importantly, maybe speak kindly about them. Pray to God and ask for his blessing on them. If someone tries to take what's yours, Jesus says, give them more than what they're asking for. And then summing up these instructions, Jesus gives us the golden rule, verse 31. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. We need to realize in Jesus' teachings here that living in the kingdom of heaven, living with Jesus as Lord and Savior and King, nothing is ours anymore. It's all, it all belongs to God and we are simply stewards And living in the kingdom of heaven, we need to realize that everything is ours. Because Jesus is our king. Everything is ours. We have God for our Father. We have Jesus for our Savior. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't have to hang on to things. We have Jesus. As you consider Jesus' words here, do certain people come to mind for you in your life? People who hate you, people who mistreat you, people who curse you. Who are people that maybe you think of as enemies? Maybe you think of a family member or an ex-family member. Maybe you think of bullies at school or work or in sports or on social media. Maybe do you think of political leaders? Let's be honest, doing good to them, blessing them, praying for them, may never change them. But that's actually not the point. The point isn't that they're changed. When you do good to those who hate you, and when you bless those who curse you, 
And when you pray for those who hurt you, and when you love your enemy, you're the one who's being changed. Your heart towards them is being transformed because you're beginning to see them how God sees them. You're beginning to treat them how God treats them. You've been given a new heart when you trusted in Jesus, and God is shaping you to be more and more like Jesus. So let me suggest some practical examples. And I know this is one that is controversial to say in southern Alberta. Pray for Justin Trudeau. Pray for him. Pray that God would bless him. Pray for whoever it is you really don't like. Do something kind for that acquaintance or family member who's mean to you. Compliment your adversary from school or work or sports. If, and more likely, when the time comes when there's protesters outside your church on a Sunday morning, invite them in and feed them lunch and sit down and eat lunch with them. I ask again, who's coming to mind for you? Whom God is calling you today to pray for, to bless, to love in action. This is all about our heart attitude, not seeking revenge or payback or what they owe me, not canceling them or avoiding them or ignoring them either, but instead seeking to show mercy. Not just non-retaliation either, but actively and intentionally doing good to others, even to enemies. It's not like we just flip a switch and all of a sudden we've got it figured out. This is a growth area. And we're growing more and more like Jesus. It's a process. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you through this passage? Of course, this is costly. Of course, this is sacrificial. We may lose out when we live like this. We may lose more than we've anticipated. But it's the way that Jesus calls us to now that we've been saved, now that we've had our lives transformed by Him, now that we've been adopted as children of God. It's the way of His kingdom. It's the way that Jesus calls us to live out the fact that we've experienced the forgiveness of our own sins. And we are now beloved children of God. Following these difficult commands requires that we put our trust in God to meet our needs. Living out the ethics of the kingdom of heaven requires that we have to exercise our faith. We do this by faith. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to play out. But we don't just sit back and wait for the situation to come to us. We actively engage and we do good and we bless and we pray for others. And of course, we don't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. It's not just about drumming it up and trying harder today. We need, we absolutely need the Holy Spirit living in us. You guys looked at Galatians 5 last week. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Follow the Holy Spirit in every part of your life. And the Holy Spirit will produce His fruit in you. And we do this together. This is not about isolating ourselves and solo Christianity. We do this together in the family. In sports, coaches and teams come up with a game plan to win the game. Two important NFL football games this afternoon, and you know that all week the coaches have been preparing the team. They have a game plan that they're going to try to use to beat the other team. 
Well, church, in these verses we've looked at today, Jesus has given us his game plan for living in this world, how to interact with different people, difficult people in difficult situations. We're called to show what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus as king. How we live, how we love, shows Jesus to people. We're called to embody the gospel of Christ in our relationships. Jesus has given us his game plan for the mission. He lived it himself. He modeled it. Jesus did it for us, even when we were his enemies. When we were his enemies, Jesus prayed for us. Jesus blessed us. Jesus did good to us. He did good for us. Jesus laid down his life for us when we were still his enemies. Jesus loved us. And we're called to follow in his footsteps in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is exciting. And this is scary. And this is exciting. And this is terrifying. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what God might call us to. But do you think you can trust your loving Father? Jesus calls us and he equips us to be like him, to live like him in our world, in our community, in our church, and in our families, and in our relationships. We get to be like our Father in heaven. Last question, are you your father's child? In verses 35 and 36, Jesus reveals two consequences, two outcomes of obedience to his commands here. First outcome, your heavenly reward will be great. You'll be storing up treasures in heaven, but, but do we really think about this much anymore? Remember in the past, years ago, this is something we'd actually hear about quite a bit. Jesus teaches, don't store up treasures on earth. No, you'll lose them here anyway. No, store up treasures in heaven where you get to enjoy them for eternity. We've lost that kingdom perspective. I've lost that kingdom perspective so often. And we seem to live in such a way that we we try to get all we can for life here and now. And yet we still want treasure in heaven too. Second outcome of obeying Jesus here. You will be children of God. By doing good to those who hate you, by blessing those who curse you, by praying for those who hurt you, and so on as Jesus teaches, by acting in this way, you'll prove that you are children of God. Because this is how God treats his enemies. And you'll be resembling him, representing the family well. In the closing words of the passage, Jesus teaches us about the Father. He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He does what's good. He does what's beneficial to people who are evil, to people who are unthankful, to people who may never acknowledge his goodness or even his existence. As we act like our Father in this world, don't expect that it will always or ever be reciprocated Don't expect that it will always or ever be appreciated or even understood. Don't expect a thank you card. But it's still the right thing to do. Faithfulness to Jesus is more important than worldly success. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. 
This word for compassionate is the word merciful. It means to show pity. It means to give somebody not what they deserve, but to give them what they need. And it always results in action. Mercy is never just the feeling. Mercy is the feeling and the action working together. If we look at the context and the verses immediately following what Jesus says here, he talks about this. This is how you can show mercy. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Instead, forgive people who've wronged you. Give generously. Your Father is merciful. And Jesus is saying that we show that we're a true child of God when we show mercy to the undeserving, just like He does. In our families and in our church, in our community and beyond our community, and even towards our enemies. And remember, we do this together. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Heavenly Father, who are you calling us? Who are you calling me to show mercy to today? Amen. Well, thank you, Trevor, for that encouragement and challenge as well. In closing, we're going to dismiss you with a blessing and prayer over you, but let's stand together. And this is from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before uh, all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go with God's peace in his presence. You're dismissed. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.